This is the I Love Success Podcast. I'm Peter Jurukowski, and I have made a vow to myself to help as many people as possible to achieve their dreams. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome to the I Love Success Podcast. This is a very, very special episode for me. This is our 300th anniversary edition, 300 shows. I've been able to meet with some of the most amazing people on the planet, and they have been so gracious to share their journey, share their story with me. If you look back on this journey, you can see that some of my past guests are Lyoto Machida, UFC champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, reigning UFC champion, and until recently, best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, Tom Bilyeu, Dave Asprey. I've had Olympic medalists. I've had bunch of New York Times bestsellers, TED speakers, people that survived trauma and went into the fire and came out stronger. And it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. First off, I want to thank Brian Rose from London Real. About seven years ago, I was listening to his show while I was working out. And I just enjoy these incredible conversations with people and that you had the ability to ask any given question and just get those answers and then share that with somebody else. So I've changed my life tremendously by having all these people in my life. If you're a listener and have been with me on the journey, I just want to say thank you so much. I'm grateful and I hope that one of these stories, one of these nuggets have helped you in your life. I'm going to keep going. I'm I want to do this. I want to learn from other people. I want to share it with the world. And uh, I'm extra, extra excited for this episode because I have a new friend. We actually met looking at houses, but I think the world and the universe align you with other human beings that have the same vibe like you. So if, if you're out there now, listening be don't be afraid of being yourself because you are going to be connected with other people that have the same drive that have the same passion maybe they're further ahead in your life and and you you need their help and or you're further ahead sometimes and you need to give that help but that's part of the journey and uh, i've been gracious enough to be here today with coach ak and former professional, I mean, a great athlete. He's now a peak performance coach. He's a new daddy, six weeks <laughs> in, not much sleep tonight, but he's still still here. Yeah. He's the lead coach at Google. Yes, Google. And uh, he just shares so much uh, of what he learned in his life for other people to perform better. He's launching his new book that we're going to talk about here in a couple of weeks as well. So he's not slowing down despite being a new daddy. And we're going to talk about that too. So yeah, welcome to the I Love Success Podcast, Coach AK. Peter, thank you very much. Super excited to to be on and congratulations to you as well for those uh, 300 episodes. Uh, I think we all remember when we had that first one (laughs) and sometimes want to have everything perfect. So to have 300 uh, episodes in the book. Just congratulations to you as well. Thank you. And and before we go into your story, can we just talk about consistency? Because what 
what I look at in, in my life as an athlete and, and overall in my life, there's, I have this almost every week, Peter, do you still train karate? Do you still do this? Do you still do that? Uh, and the answer for me is, is yes, because I am a martial artist. It's not like I'm training karate. I am a martial artist. And that's one of the things that has helped me just being that person. So can you just talk a little bit about consistency and like what, what type of advice do you have to people that, that haven't found that consistency in their life? Well, when I talk about consistency, I usually use an example. And when I think about that is, so for example, Peter, what would happen if you turned on your camera today and I just didn't show up? Yeah. Like, what would you, what would you think of me? Yeah. I mean, I, it would, I would be very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And, and let's say when you found out that I didn't show up, I wasn't even doing anything. I was just, you know, watching a YouTube video, not doing anything serious. And you gave me another opportunity to do this, we'll say next week. And I know called no showed again. What would you have thought about me at that moment? I think I would lose, lose a little bit of respect. Yeah. yeah. And that comes from, you know, we've had conversations, right? We've had that, that bond. But we just saw what happened from two times of a no call, no show it, you know, Peter, you no longer respect me, probably most likely if you were about someone else reached out to you about wanting to work with me, you would say, you know what, that guy's kind of a flake, yeah. despite everything you might find about me online. But I usually ask that question following is like, how often do we no call and no show ourselves? Right? And that could be all the sudden of saying, hey, I'm going to work out in the morning, but you know what? I just snoozed or I'm going to follow up with that individual, but you just decided not to. And the same way that I look at it, if we saw the two times how it affects us when we do it externally, but we feel like when we do it to ourselves, it's not having that same type of impact or damage, but I'm saying that it is. Yeah. So for us, the number one thing that I've actually seen from all the work that I do is not from identify new sciences and new behaviors is that we just stop doing what we know we need to do to reach the results that we're looking for. Yeah. How, why do you think we do that to ourselves so often? I mean, there's, there's so many reasons why, you know, there's one of them is I also look at consistency as one is it's habit forming and habit building. Yeah. So right now, if I was going to wake up in the morning and I wanted to do a workout, I've already created these habits and these behaviors. Um, Freud calls this repetitive compulsion. We usually do things consistently, we continually do. So if I wake up every morning and I'll say, let's say I check my phone. Well, that has been a habit and a behavior that I've instilled in my life. What I need to do instead is I need to actually replace that habit with something else. So let's say, for example, instead of checking my phone, I instead stand up and maybe touch my toes or even better yet, maybe I decide to go work out or read a book or journaling. So the first thing about consistency, we have to identify what are we consistently doing? We're consistently doing something, but is it aligned to the outcome that we're looking for? That's one. Two, it is immediate gratification. We usually do things that are the most comfortable for us. Usually that fight or flight, we do things that are much more familiar to us. So the way in which we need to change this consistency is we need to be able to get over those hump periods. 
right? When things are challenging before it comes easy. And then the third reason is we have to actually just be kind of real with ourselves. I know for me, I was a former professional athlete. I was an all-American athlete at the University of Oregon. And what allowed me to be consistent was every single day I had teammates and I had a coach that pushed me, that said, hey, you need to show up at practice at this time. But when I finished playing sports, I found myself yo-yoing. And the reason why was I thought, you know what, I'm an athlete, I can do this myself. But I realized, no, AK, what you realize is, is when you have training partners, when you have accountability partners, when you have coaches, it helps you align to stay consistent. So the first thing is we have to also be internally and understand ourselves what state keeps us consistent in the behaviors that we're looking for. Love that. And we, we're going to talk about more about that, actually having somebody in your corner, which we all need. But let's go back to your story. Um, so I know you're, you're a triplet, right? You have, yeah. you have, you have five, five brothers, but can you just talk, like, how was that? Because I think I've never met the triplet. <laughs> and like, uh, what are like, what was the competition between you and your uh, brothers? And like, how was life growing up uh, like that? Well, for one, I don't know any different. All I know is about being a triplet. But literally, I share my DNA with somebody else on this planet. And I, you know, we have our own ways of navigating through the world. He's like my best friend. But our family was very, very competitive. We're still very, very competitive. I'm on this fitness journey right now where I want to lose about 30 pounds in the next 100 days. We'll see if we can be able to do that really working forward to that. But me and my siblings are all in the same competitive chat. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's Monopoly. I don't care who can ever get to the, you know, who can ever throw the football the farthest. It's just how I've always been ingrained. And my wife, for example, grew up in a household that wasn't very competitive. So you can really see sometimes <laughs> the dynamic of me and my brother when you take us out of that situation. And my wife was all like, yo, has that helped you in your life you know as an athlete uh, having that kind of you know iron sharpen iron thing within the family you know for me it came from my mom and my dad my mom and dad really instilled in me that if you're going to do something try to be the best in the world at it and this really comes into our conditioning when we're being, when we're growing up about the messages, the environment that we're in. My mom and dad, they moved here from Nigeria in 1976. So I'm a first generation in the United States. And when they came, they started from really nothing. My dad was here to get his PhD, but they were in a new land in a new place and were able to find their way. Yeah. And so they always instilled us at the very, very early on that education is important. If you're going to do something, put all of your will into it. So at the end of the day, I don't actually feel like I'm competitive. I just feel like when I show up to something, like I want to be the best at it. Like why do something if you don't feel like you can do a, a, a good job? And I'm not saying when I start things, it's always easy, but I always believe when I step into the environment that I have the skills, the mindset and the background to be the best at what I do. And I just hold myself to that, you know, that standard or all of us do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I think they, it's a name for the immigrant edge, right? There's yeah. no, there's no backup plan. You just got to do it. And you, 
that's why we see all of these, you know, incredible people coming to a new country. And after a couple of years, they have created mm -hmm. something extraordinary. And it, it's, it's so beautiful to see how does that, you know, how was it growing up with that type of, I don't know if I want to say pressure, but in a way, I think it's type of, a type of pressure. And how did you handle that as far as, you know, going after things and knowing in your, in the back of your mind, if I'm going to do this, I got to be, I got to work, I got to work towards being the best. Well, I love your example that you have, the immigrant mindset of the no backup plan. You know, our coach at the University of Oregon always talked about that he always liked recruiting people that not from necessarily well-to-do backgrounds always, because they always had a lot of different backup plans. Yeah. If it doesn't work out, I can just do it. If it doesn't work out, I can just do this. But for me, growing up in a family of, you know, eight immigrant family, when I got onto that track, every single competition, my goal was, well, getting first place or winning this race will allow me to get a, a bigger scholarship to be able to, so my mom and dad don't have to, you know, send money over. Yeah. So when I got on that line, it was more than just the race. It was something so much deeper. And for a lot of the individuals that you see that are, have seen a tremendous success is usually this internal why that's deeper why that's really driving them. For me, it was how can I, make some more money so I can help my mom and dad not pay for expensive college and be able to set my own path. For others, it might be something completely different. And so for us, I think for anybody, it's really identifying what is that driving factor? Simon Sinek says this a lot. And it's about not that surface level why, but that why five levels deep, that's really gonna drive you. Because I'm gonna guarantee you, you're going to hit roadblocks along the way. You're going to, it's just natural. But the question is, are you going to stop 1% of the way through, 10% of the way through? Or is it gonna be, you're willing to go to that 90 percentile to get to the results or the place that you wanna to get to? And that's what I really wanna think. I think it's not an either an, uh, an either or an or, it's yeah. a spectrum that we're all on. And where are most of us falling off that path where we're gonna say, you know what, this is too hard. I'm going to decide to do something that's the easier path for me or aligned not to the who that I want to be. Yeah, love that. And uh, why track and field and why, why did you choose hurdle and, you know, of all sports uh, that you can do? Well, so for, I, I don't know, if, I don't know how many people actually start track and field to do track and field. Because <laughs> think about it, our sport is what most people do for punishment, <laughs> especially my race. I was a 400, 400 hurdler. So I got into it to, I was a football, football player. And so my older brother recommended that I do track and field to get faster. Yeah. It just happened to be that I was getting more attention for track and field than I was through football. And I can admit, I never, I don't know if I really liked running necessarily. I just liked the competitive aspect of it. Hey, Nine people are going to be on the line when that gun goes off, who's going to be first. Yeah. So that was really what I loved about track and field. I got into the hurdles because I just wanted to try something different. And once again, I was just, you know, picking up, I was picking up and I was getting looked at. So I just continued to focus on that area. 
uh, and I can't tell you exactly the moment that I made the decision on the hurdles, but I can tell you that for me, I actually like jumping over hurdles than I do just running a flat 400. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. makes it, it makes it easier. It does make yeah. it easier. <laughs> it's, but it's one thing that I think is interesting when, you know, I meet a lot of successful people. It's you got to try different things and you, you got to be open to what actually can happen in your life. And I think, I think that's what I have seen, you know, by coaching and helping people. A lot of people get and they don't, they don't make, they don't try anything new. And because how do you know, like, for example, 400 meter hurdle, that's, I don't know how many people actually wake up and dream about doing that, but there's a lot of people that are great at it, just like you. Well, let's look at that. If you look at the book um, range by David Epstein, and it talks about why generalists are really going to be the ones that are really going to be successful in this landscape. You know, he uses the example of, you know, these multi-sport athletes. A lot of us think to be the best at what we do is to do this repetitive activity over and over and over again versus the multi-sport athlete. I would say that I became stronger, not from just running, but it might've been the, the stretching, the lifting weights, the playing football, even the wrestling that I did all helped me become a better track and field athlete, all helped me become a better wrestler. And even he used the example of Tiger Woods, one of the best in the game or the best in the game. And he says what really set Tiger Woods apart wasn't that he was just an amazing golfer, but he changed the game by incorporating weight training. Yeah. Something that was very, very different. Oftentimes we feel that we're doing the same thing over and over again. But when we look at it and we break down the skill sets that it takes to do an activity, let's use an activity such as playing the piano. Well, how similar is playing the piano to typing on a keyboard? You both need hand-eye coordination. You both need the, the, you know, the visual acuity. So if you were to take a piano player or a typist and you were to exchange them, right? There's a cross of skills that are being used to be able to conduct or do that activity. But I think we can look at that in our everyday lives. Yes, you are in real estate, but you're not just selling houses. Your ability to build rapport, your ability to understand markets, your ability to understand the value that a particular family is going to need can probably make you a good salesperson or a teacher or an educator or so many different fields. It's our our, our ability to actually broaden our box and see the different skills that make us who we are is actually going to be the thing that allows us to really adapt to different situations. Yeah. Question for you. Like, what was your biggest moment in track and feel? Like, can you just walk us back to that moment and like how, how that felt to be victorious and, and just feeling that, you know, everything all of the hard work that I've done is paying off. I would, I would take that to my senior, my junior year in college at the University of Oregon. And the reason I say about paying off is it's about that scale. I started off not as a, an amazing athlete. I was not, I was not neat, I was not fast. And I had to work hard. So my junior year in college, what ended up happening was there's the four by 400 meter relay. That's four athletes run four time around the track and that makes up one mile. 
And during that race, at the beginning of the year, I was, uh, I think I was like number eight on the team. Number eight on the team. So that means that someone had to get injured. I had to run faster then. And so during the year, I began to get getting faster and faster and faster. And I remember this particular race midway through the year where my coach just threw me in, just threw me in. And this is going to be my one opportunity. And that one opportunity, I was able to run a really good time in this relay. Yeah. Now, the reason why I'm going to, I know it sounds like kind of me, I'm going to connect why all this connects at the end. Yeah. Was I had this one opportunity, but there was days of training, days of training when I needed to get ready. And when the opportunity came, I was able to rise. So it came to nationals a few months later, and we were in lane nine in the finals. Lane nine in the finals of the four by four meter relay in 2006. I'm kind of aging myself, 2005. And this was my first time really at nationals. And next to me in these races were Olympic champions, top, top athletes in the, in the college room. And so I remember when the gun goes off, our first athlete hands off the baton in, I think it's like third place. Now, if anybody knows track and field, lane nine means you're like the last team to get into the finals. You're like the last team. So you, we, just, we just skirted into <laughs> the final. So now imagine that first leg comes and we're seated in third place out of nine teams. And then we hand it off to the second, our second athlete. And if you've ever seen a race and they, they're doing this handoffs is they usually align you into these heats. And when people are like jockling for first and second or whatever place, they move you back and forth in the line. So when you're handing it off, there's not this collision. So I remember that I was sitting there and I was in like the back of the line. I wasn't really paying attention. And then the referee said, hey, come here, move up to the front. So our second leg, actually we started to move in and I was about to get that baton in first and second place. And this is the nationals. And next to me was the former Olympic medalist. Wow. <laughs> that was getting the baton. His name was Benny Brazil. And we end up getting the baton and we run and I, and, and, and I do a good job and I hand it off and we're in second place. And by the end of the race, we finished it with a time of three minutes and 81 seconds. Now, if anybody knows what that time is, and that race was actually the fastest race that's ever happened in the NCAAs, right? In that, in that year, a time that would have placed third in the previous Olympics, our time. Wow. Right. So we went from, for me, imagine this at the beginning of the year, a guy that was seated eighth on the team yeah. to have that one opportunity to get on the team. And then that morning of, of the national championships, we were the last team to be seated. And in that final race, we took off three seconds in one day to get third place at the NCAA championships, the fastest time and a time that would have placed third in the Olympics that year. Wow. And, and why do you think that happened? Like how, how was the ability to, you know, in that moment to perform better than, than ever? This is like the million dollar question in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's a lot of people think it's just about skill set. Yeah. No, skill set is one. Yeah. 
The another one is mindsets. It's skill set, it's mindset, and it's activation. It's all of those three. So some people have the skill set. Yeah. Who's able to have the skill set and that mindset? Meaning, you're in lane. You're you're in the last heat. This is nationals. You're either going to be who you want to be or not. Yeah. And then the third one is that activation, right? So for me, I think we all had to have all three, but not only myself. All four athletes on the team needed to be able to have the skill set to be able to peak on that exact day, to believe that they can win on that exact day. And when the baton gets into their hand, put everything on the line and leave nothing on the table. Like we did not, we were not running in fear of like, how am this race, how, how are our legs going to feel at the end? We basically said, we're going to put everything on the line for our teammates because we believe that we can be the best in the world. Now, some people might say, well, AK, you got third place, your team did. But for us, we realized when we get on there, we did not believe we were going to get third place. We believe we were going to get first place. But because we had that mindset of first place and winning, we ended up still running one of the fastest times in the world that year. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about this and I, I want to go a little bit deeper. And everybody who's who's a high performer is gonna, I think they're gonna love this. And if you're not a high performer yet, I think you'll you should start exploring this. I, I'm curious, did you feel anything special that day or like how, how walking around, like how was the mm-hmm. feeling? And and I think this is something that is is not explainable, but I'm curious, like what was the feeling on that day? I had a little bit of anxiety, but it was this, we talk about its flow. When you become better at something, it makes the activities you do easier. And what ends up happening is I think there's, at the end of the day, it's, it's this, it's this flow. It's when you remove the ego out of that situation and you perform at your optimum. We don't realize how often in our subconscious level that the narratives that we have into our head are affecting our everyday decisions. I talked to so many people and they're like, you know what, mindset's BS. I'm like, are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure? Because what ends up happening is we're all in the same race. And this is what I talk about high performers. There's a lot of people think that the race starts when the gun goes off. That's actually not when the race starts. The race actually starts halfway through when things begin to get uncomfortable. And that individual that came into that race, same people, one person might say, did I train good enough? What happens if I win this race? Am I gonna win this new contract? With all these kind of minds that come into our heads, same thing that happens. Well, another person might say, I trained, I'm ready for this. So at that moment, when you're 200 meters way in or you're halfway through that marathon or you're on the final home stretch what we realize especially on that home stretch it's and you've probably seen this in races on that final home stretch what you see is it looks like that person surging ahead in a race but actually that's not what's happening what's actually happening is is that they're dying the least while everybody else is doing what They're crossing their arms. They're looking around. So to really what happens when you, when you think about what high performers are doing is that they're staying consistent in the midst of adversity. 
They're doing the same things that got them there while everybody else starts to get bad habits, starts to get bad mindsets. And so we always think that we need to do something different versus how do we just, to the beginning, how we started this, how do we just stay consistent? Consistent, yeah. Yeah, no, it's so interesting because I, I remember the day I became a world medalist and it was the same thing, you know, and, and we, I've talked about that. This is when I was coaching other students, like you're never going to end up in a final with no injuries, perfect performance, perfect yeah. preparation, perfect warm up, perfect sleep that doesn't exist. And now when you're saying it's the consistency of like being strong in those moments when it's hard and, and, and just kind of let, letting go and letting your performance flow. I think that's why the mind ruin is it for so many and i've seen this in martial arts there people are great in the dojo but then when you head to a competition it's like a different person and then you mm -hmm. have the opposite people they just learn lean in and you know get carried away by by that performance mm -hmm. well and you can see this i mean we we know this the person that's sitting there nervous is looking all around focusing on whatever you know those other competitors yeah. while just being in that self and you have to there's a, a a guy that i know a good friend of mine anthony trucks and he says you can't be a coach and a performer at the same time at some point you have to be able to remove yourself and what you say is let go and let the performance take care of itself and then when you're done you can be the coach but how often are we playing the coach and the performer in that moment yeah that's a good way of looking at it. And thank you for sharing this moment. It's a special moment. And I want to move on to like, let's, let's go to the, to the part when you almost got to the Olympics, which uh, is also not, not, maybe not as fun of a topic, but I think it makes you uh, probably yeah. a much better coach today because you have experienced like all the facets of being an athlete and life. So can you just walk us through that story and like what you learned from that experience? Yeah. I, and I, I think I could talk about it now. It's been some, it's, it, been it's 15 years, years man. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, when I, when, when you think about that, that why that story is so powerful is being top three in the top, being top in the world. And then my junior and then my senior year, I had a really bad hamstring injury. Yeah. And then the following year, I decided to play football and uh, for the University of Oregon, and then I tear my ACL. Yeah. And so when you come to all of this is you can hit these high moments and you can hit these low moments as well. And so I remember I had, I tore my ACL, I gained 30 pounds in the process. And I remember when I tore my ACL, I didn't even want it to get repaired. Because one, I was so fed up with sports. I felt like I was just a number in the system. Yeah. And it was my senior year and I graduated and I went to the Cook Islands with my girlfriend at the time. And one of their friends knew who I was and they said, hey, have you ever thought about training for the Olympics? And I'm all like, um, this is not exactly the, the body of an elite athlete. But that conversation really stuck with me to the point that I ended up you know, going to do rehab and training for eight hours a day when I got back. So I lost it. I lost all the weight. And what ended up happening was when I began to start training, I started to hit some better times, even before when I was a college athlete, I was running fairly well to the point that I 
was interested and was going to run for my parents' home country of Nigeria. And I remember I had to be able to, you know, there was these qualifying competitions that I needed to get to in California. And I was living in Oregon at the time. And I decided to, in, in a weekend, sell everything that I had, other than what I can fit in my like small little Dodge Neon and just drive to California and sleep on a friend's couch. <laughs> and this is what my, it was like 2000, 2008. And so I end up flying to Nigeria to do this Olympic comp competition. And before the Olympics are about to, the qualifiers are about to start, they have this meet a week beforehand. And it's this big international competition. So I get on the ground and it's about 24 hours to this event is about to, to, to happen. Now, if anybody knows about flying internationally and comp competing on a, you know, it's a 24 hour travel, uh, changing multiple time zones. I'm not exactly feeling in top shape, but the one of the one of the, the meeting organizers comes up to me for the, the team and it says, "You know, this Olympic trials we're going to do in a week. We've actually decided we're going to move it up a week. Mm. And what you have to do is your Olympic trials is going to be tomorrow. Mm. So imagine that I have all these years of training, all this kind of stuff, and now after traveling almost for 24 hours, the very next morning, I need to now get ready for." this race and I need to get top three to make the Olympic team. Yeah. So what ends up happening is I get on the track, I give it my all and I get third place. So as you could possibly imagine, I, I'm calling my family, I'm calling my friends. I'm, I'm, I'm just ecstatic because I've made the Olympic team. So a couple of days later, we, we were going to fly out to Egypt or Tunisia to do this track and field, you know, this, this qualifier. And I go, we, we don't run as well as we need to, but, you know, I'm fine. But while I'm in the airport on the way back, actually in Egypt, I decided that I just like, you know, all I want, I just want a cold glass of water. Yeah. All I want is a cold glass of water. So I go to the airport lounge, I get a cold glass of ice water. And as you can imagine, a couple hours later, my stomach is just gurgling. I am not feeling well. But I said, you know what, I'm fine. I got some time to recover before we gotta get ready for the Olympic stuff. And I get back into Nigeria and as I'm sitting there just sick, trying to like, you know, you know, pound down fluids, uh, the same meeting organizer comes to me and says, you know the Olympic things that we did a week ago? We actually decided we're gonna move it back and do it again. <laughs> like, wait, excuse me uh, what, what, what do you mean and they say instead of it going to be a qualifier where people pre-qualified for that first one this is going to be an open race meaning and nobody like if you wanted to show up and run you can do it so instead of having a two heat the first time this turned into 40 heats and eight rounds so I make it through the first round, I make it through the second round, but just on the third round, I just, my body was just too dehydrated and fatigued that I don't end up making it through. And so in that particular year, um, I ended up watching the opening ceremonies and Olympic games from my couch, yeah. actually my friend's couch, because I didn't even have a place at that moment. Yeah. And it was one of those moments to know what it feels like to literally get this dream that you want. And then all of a sudden, like lose it. Like I know what it feels like to be an Olympian, but I also know what it feels like to lose out at the same time.
Now, some people might say, what's the silver lining to this overall story is, you know, as, as time passed, I had a lot of friends that were Olympians. And a lot of them, they would end up getting the Olympics. And there was this thing that a lot of athletes, a lot of individuals, Academy Awards get, is called the day after effect. Mm. Is that they wake up the next morning and they expect the world to be different, but it's exactly the same. Yeah. And so what a lot of them do is, you know what I need? I need a second Olympics. I need a third Olympics. I need something different. And they keep on chasing, they keep on chasing the feeling as though it's something gonna change. But for me, I realized that by me missing out on it, I always felt that I needed to be an Olympian before I could you know, work at a particular company or get a particular person on board. And I realized that the Olympics were actually holding me back than they were actually pushing me forward. And so I just got that awakening earlier on that realizing, no, no, I don't need this to define who I am. As a matter of fact, the journey in itself was something extremely powerful. So for me, the Olympics was not the Olympics in itself, but it was that moment when I was sitting in the Cook Islands that I decided that I wanted to train for the Olympics where all of this journey started to who I am today. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing this. And it reminds me of Dominique Cruz. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you should Google the article, I don't need a belt in my life. And he, he exp- I don't know if you read that article, but he talks about, you know, I don't need a belt because it it's about who you are. And it's great to win in life at everything, but I think it comes down to the worthiness and that's something with us as athletes we struggle with so much and i i I believe it's kind of sad but that's why we're usually so successful in other fields because (laughs) we have this need of you know putting our attach ourselves to an accomplishment yeah yeah and it's an accomplishment in some ways that always can get beaten by somebody else and so we keep on chasing and we keep on chasing and this is I think what happens, you know, and oftentimes the better athlete you are, the more you've in some ways been babied through the system. Yeah. And you don't have, if anybody remembers, we don't have the Brett Favre or the Tom Brady type career. It's all of a sudden, we just had that last race. We had that last competition. And then we wonder from some that we've been so successful in for so many years, all of a sudden our identity that's driven us is no longer so how do you recreate how do you reestablish yourself when something that's been so part of you for so long is no longer how did you do that well i ran away from it i ran away from it. i didn't want to do anything with sports yeah. at all uh but what switched it was it's, i realized it wasn't an or we always live in these worlds of ors And I decided I had to switch one word and say, and how can I do what I want to do and use sports as a vehicle to help me? So now a lot of the stuff that I do is not, I don't train athletes. I don't train people, but that same stuff that I learned from sports is still a part of me. I don't watch any sporting games, but I, sports is still a part of who I am and how I just show up with the world and the people around me. So I embraced it instead of running away from it. 
I love that. And and a personal question before we go into your book. I mean, I'm 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 much better at it now, but I remember for a long time I I always used to compare myself with even after I I stopped fighting with other athletes that was yeah. better than me and it I was happy for them and I admired them, but it also pissed me off that I that I weren't wasn't able to reach that level. And I think now I'm I've come to terms with it in my life and now I'm using it you know I'm very happy with what I did but it took me a very very long time and I think this is not only in sports we do this all the time and we end up hurting ourselves mm -hmm. so I'm just curious like what how have you been able to deal with that in your life well you know, my life I would say I worked with a lot of athletes I've worked with a lot of executives I've worked with over 40,000 people around the globe yeah. and they have those same feelings. <laughs> Even those top performers, they have those. There's always something that, it might be somebody that came after them. It might be something that comes before them. It's they all have these things of, that they wanted to do better. Oftentimes when we look at our lives, we usually compare ourselves to other individuals, but we never know. Yeah. We never know if Usain Bolt wanted to be the first person to run eight seconds. So we are comparing ourselves to what he wants, but in his mind, he might think, I'm an underachiever. Yeah. And that's where a lot of things that I realized, the stuff that people are trying to accomplish, they feel like they haven't done enough. So at the end of the day, I think it's also looking at what is the story that you want to tell? What's the legacy that you want to leave behind? Yeah. So for me, I had my sports career. Yeah. Now I have my business career, but now it's like, hey, what kind of father do I want to be? Yeah. What time of colleague do I want to be? Because life is not stagnant. It's dynamic. And we have different phases and different stages in our lives. And so how do we navigate through this journey? Because oftentimes you're so focused on the destination. I know people hear this all the time. Yeah. But it's actually through this journey that we live moment by moment by moment. And who do we want to be? Yeah, I think, but AK, one thing that I'm also th contemplating about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to redefine success and, you know, I, and one of the things that I have seen with a lot of the high performers that have been on the show is that what we're talking about actually drives performance. Mm -hmm. You get better, but it, it doesn't always drive happiness. So I'm kind of curious, like, what's your take on that? Because isn't our, like, isn't the goal, I don't know, but it, not all, it's not all about the performance. It's about the enjoyment as well, right? And the happiness. One thing about athletics that hurts and helps, I don't think it was, it was anybody, is we're taught that we should pursue activities that we're excellent in. And I find this to be actually very, very challenging because what ends up happening is, is right over there, I have a, a keyboard. Am I good at it? Not necessarily, but I enjoy it. And so our ability to, yes, have a goal that we might be searching for, but what are the things that give you joy and happiness? I give an activity to a lot of my, my clients. I said, what I want you to do is I want you to list off 100 things you like, enjoy, want to do in life right and most people when they start they can only get like 15 like i don't know i was like no 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 and i call this almost like writer's block but this is more like a dreamer's block yeah. like list out all the things that you like and enjoy 
And then the goal from there is as you're chasing whatever you're trying to chase, don't forget these things. Add these into your schedule because oftentimes what we feel like is we have to wait until we get something before we can enjoy something. So happiness is how can we do both? You can have it both. You can still strive, but still enjoy. So what I want everybody to do, who's ever listening, is like take that moment, list out things that you like and enjoy. And don't feel like you have to punish yourself before you can actually enjoy those things in your life. And that's usually what I see people when they're not finding happiness is you ask them like, okay, what on this list are you doing? And they say, actually, none of these. Yeah. It's not rocket science. <laughs> yeah. Then do those things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I, when I, you said a hundred things, I got scared. Like, can I come up with a hundred things? But it's good. I'm going to do that. And I encourage everybody to do that because it's, it's a good challenge. And like, what are we waiting for? Like I have a Bob at my gym, 86 year old. He's at goals every morning. We always chat. And I, I talked to him like, are you, you look forward to the week? I asked him this morning. It's like, yeah, but I look forward to today. I'm going to start with now. Yeah. And just be in that now. And that's, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> well, when we think about the now, it's here's an, another activity I'm going to have people do if it's on more on a daily. Every single night you go to bed, I want you to reflect on your day. Yeah. And the way in which you reflect on your day tells you how you see your day. So if you reflect on your day, like, oh, I got, you know, someone cut me off on the side of the road. Um, my boss or, you know, colleagues or my clients did this to me. Yeah. You're now interpreting the world through the negative. But if you're someone that says, you know what? I really enjoyed, you know, holding my newborn baby of six months. I enjoy just the opportunity just to get out and see the California sunny weather or maybe like snow, whatever it needs to be. So if you end your day and the way you reflect on it, you're seeing the negative, that means... <laughs> That is the outlook that you have in the world. Oftentimes we feel like happiness is something that we have to achieve rather than a choice. My question to you is, are you choosing happiness? Are you choosing to see the happiness in your world? Or are you choosing to sign the pain, the discomfort, the anger in the world? Yeah. And if you find yourself focusing on the negatives, then most likely I'm gonna tell you, you need to remove those stimuli out of your mind. Maybe you, every morning you watch the news. Maybe you need to stop watching the news. And change that habit with something that's much more uplifting. Yeah. So I say the goal is you have to choose happiness. It doesn't come to you. You have to choose it. Yeah. Let's talk about your book. I mean, yeah. being a new father again and writing a book, I, I've written a, four books. So I know how much work yeah. it takes to do it. Uh, so I'm so excited for you. So let's talk about the next right move, starting strong to being the who you want to be. Mm -hmm. I guess it's a 100-day self-coaching guide. Yeah. So it's a lot of the stuff we're talking about today. Yeah. You know, our, our, when, you know, the whole premise of the book is really focusing on three areas. And we've talked about them today. The first one is the identifying the who you want to be. Like we live in a world where everybody is telling us who and what to be. That oftentimes the hardest person to be is ourselves. And so most people know what the what and the why that they want it. I'll use an example. I want to lose 25 pounds, we'll say. That's the what I want. But the who I need to be is someone who finishes workouts. Because beforehand, I was yo-yoing. Yeah. And by focusing on the who you need to be, it helps you identify those 
moment by moment decisions because no matter what happens, January 1st, 2024 can happen any faster or slower. I only have control over the moment by moment decisions and the who that I need to be. That's the first premise. The second premise is a 100 day self coaching guide. It is, people could say it's a self help book, but it's not a self help book because nobody needs help. It's a self workbook. It's how do we move from action, inaction to action? So it's 100 days that helps you just stay consistent to starting off your morning strong, just 15 minutes, asking you questions, <laughs> helping you think about things, and helping you every single day take 1% more action than you did the day before. And then the third premise is about creating habits and behaviors. That is really what it is. It is a guide to help you identify who you want to be, help you remove the distractions, find these cheat codes to help you fast forward this process to creating new habits and behaviors to what you want to be. And that's really what the book is. And there's also a companion journal where you can actually go through with this each and every single day to ask you these questions. That's awesome. And how, how has how has the process been of deciding to writing a book and, you know, going through that, uh, you know, journey? Yeah, well, I should say this. I have ADHD. I'm dyslexic. So writing is hard for me. <laughs> but the funny thing is, is to write this book is the same thing that has been, I've been using for my workouts is it's not about working out or losing the 25 pounds. It's not about writing this book, but it's about, do I want to be a person that commits to completing things? That's what I want to be known as someone that completes things. And do I say, is it easy? No, it is not easy. There's challenges along the way, but I have to opt. I use this word called dehyping. It's not about, it's not like that MMA announcement. I go like, hey, let's get ready for him. Let's get, have a lot of excitement. Let's go and let's do this thing. It's actually about how do I just write one more chapter? How do I just write one more page? How do I just write one more sentence? How do I write one more word? And when you do that consistently, you have help along the ways, you end up creating a book. See, it wasn't the skill set. The thing that stopped me the most was my mindset in the process. It's crazy how, like, when I when I talk about this and when I, I look at look at my life sometimes and see where the journey has taken me and the, in the things that I am most you know happy with myself it's it's just that you know keep showing up the small little things even when you don't feel like it just do add just a little it's not that much and it it's so crazy that that is the secret <laughs> isn't it well it's too easy. <laughs> But, it, but that's what it is so important. That's the reason why it's so important is I remember for years, I would listen to like Tony Robbins and I would listen to Brian Tracy and Robin Sharma, all these individuals. And I remember the day I was like, ah, I'm annoyed that all these people are saying the same thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the realization came like, maybe there's a reason they're saying the same thing. Yeah. And then I came to the, the realization that is, maybe it's not that they need to be doing something different. It's, I need to do something different. And so at that moment, I realized, no, what they're saying is true. It is consistency. It's not trying to find this new innovative way. No. It's about being consistent. It's about doing the work. It's about showing up. And that is the secret to 
success. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and one thing that's also, I think, has been important for me in my life is to, you know, lean in. So when you have this opportunity to reach, uh, to read Coach AK's book, do it and lean in and see what you can learn. And speaking of Tony Robbins, I did a, a course last year with Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi. Yeah. And if you don't know who Dean Graziosi is, he's written several books that are New York Times bestsellers. But you know what he told me? Or he told everybody, he doesn't write books. He transcribes, he, he, yeah, he, yeah. he, just, he just talks into his phone and he sends him to a transcribing company and then he edits it. And I thought, that's a brilliant idea. I never even thought of that. Is, can you write a book? Does that even count? Like in my mind, like my stupid mind, like does that count as writing a book? Yes, it counts. <laughs> and it's well, crazy. Well, the funny thing is, the funny thing is, it's when you think, when you've, you've done 300 episodes on your podcast, this whole journey for a lot of the stuff you see was two years ago. And I had a friend that says, I've been wanting to do a podcast for years. And I always felt like I need to have the right microphone. I need to have the right topic. I need to have all of these different factors. And then they said to me, AK, just start. Or you got to give me 20 bucks tomorrow. Yeah. What ended up happening was every morning I did an episode for five minutes yeah. called Mornings with Coach AK. So look at what do you think happened three months ago when I said I wanted to write a daily read? Those episodes were turned into chapters of the book. See, oftentimes we don't realize about the work that we do that we can leverage it for future opportunities. See, it was never about just the podcast, but once you put that out there, it's created, it can't be destroyed. And so it turned into a podcast and turned into a book. It turned us to me and you having this conversations, wherever this may take us. So oftentimes we're waiting for the perfect opportunity rather than just a, an opportunity. And we never realize where it can take us when we just commit and show up. Yeah, I love that. And just, you know, staying in motion. And I think that's something that we we forget. And that's something that helped me tremendously in my life, even though I don't know. I don't always have the answers and I don't know exactly where I'm going all the time, but I stay in motion because when you're in motion, you don't have to restart the engine every single time because it's so difficult to restart an engine, especially if you have a powerful engine, like a lot of people do. It's a super, super powerful engine. And if you have to restart it time and time again, it takes more effort than is necessary. Uh, So what do you like? What else do you want to share? Like any final words before I let you go? I know, I know you're busy with your baby and I want to kind of uh, respect your time. Like what should people do? Like when they leave this show, like what's the first thing they should, you know, do right away? Well, to your point is, I think you have it there. It's just do. Yeah. And it's going to be that moment of self-reflection yeah. and take five minutes. Like, what is it that you want? Like, what is it that you truly want? Yeah. And then once you do that, I would say is if you found yourself yo-yoing in certain ways, this might be where you start to get in third party accountability. Yeah. It might be, get a coach. It might be, oh, it might be, get a coach. It might be, get an accountability partner 
or it might be removing distractions out of your life. Yeah. So there's things that either fast forward it or stop it. It might be, hey, you know what? That TikTok account that I have isn't actually serving me, yeah. right? Me, bench, me binging this Netflix show isn't serving me. And so what decisions, what's one thing that you can do today that fast forward you in the process, either removing something that's holding you back or adding something that can move you forward. And if you need a, a tip, you can go to, <laughs> you can buy my book. It's gonna be launching April 13th called, uh, as you know, the next right move, starting strong to being who you wanna be, and then just completing it. Because at the end of the day, do you believe yeah. that you can complete things that you start? That's awesome. We're going to add the links. You can go ahead and, and purchase the book right away. And I mean, do something, whatever you plan, like whatever you do after this podcast, don't let it be, you know, another show that you listen to another great episode or another fun thing that you share with your colleagues or your wife or your husband or whoever it is. That's fine. We want to grow. We want to help more people, but do something with your life. I mean, this is, this is all free. We're, we're giving off our time and knowledge for you to, you know, create something. There's nothing that's more rewarding for me. And I'm sure for coach AK as well, if you take yeah. some of these things and, you know, do do something with your life, you know, I want to, I want to thank coach AK again, if people want to connect with you, like where, where can they find you? If they want to, uh, uh, you know, buy your book, work with you, see, listen to your podcast, what's the best place? Yeah, they can just go to coachak.com. Uh, they can find me there or just coach AK Ikwakor on uh, LinkedIn. And it's really easy to find. I think I'm the only AK Ikwakor on the planet. So that's one of the benefits of having a, a unique name. That's cool. And before I let you all go, I just want to say thank you so much for like, if you're new to the show, show, I'm happy that you're here. If you've been with me since the start, thank you so much for sticking with me. It's been, for me, this has been life-changing. I've learned so much and I've actually implemented a lot of the things. And that's why I'm seeing that my life is starting to form in the way that I, I really want to. And a lot of the things that I've been dreaming about are all materializing. So it, it actually works. It, we talked about it, the secret or whatever we want to talk is just yeah. that next step. Uh, so thanks again. Uh, please share this show with somebody that needs to hear this message. Give us a review so we can grow. I'm sure you know by now that my big mission is to help at least 10 million people in 10 years to go after their dreams. And I'm, I'm not going to stop. So thanks, everybody. I'll talk to you soon. I'll see you soon. And that's it. Thank you.